We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to look with me uh, this evening into the gospel according to Matthew and the 16th chapter. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the greatest statements ever made by man. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want you to notice two words in verse number 18. When Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I want you to underline those two words, my church. My church. And I'm going to speak to you on this subject this evening, Christ and his church. Christ and his church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we confess with Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. Thank you for your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I will speak to you on the subject of Christ and his church. And we note the words of Jesus tonight. Upon the confession of Peter, he said... Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Some mistakenly believe that the Lord Jesus is referring to Peter. Now, he is referring to Peter's name. Peter's name simply meant stone, a little stone. And so the Lord here is using a play on words to illustrate a truth. He is not building his church upon Peter. He is building his church on the basis of Peter's confession of who he is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, from that confession, I will build my church. The Bible said that we, the church, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, the prophets are the writers of the Old Testament. The apostles are the writers of the New Testament. So those two terms describe for us the fact that we are built, the church is built 
upon the foundation of the Word of God. The church is built upon the Bible, and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Uh, therefore, if the church is to, is to be formed, it has to be formed upon the confession of who Christ is. And so he said, I will build my church. And the Lord Jesus Christ, these 2,000 years, has been building his church. Now, I want you to notice some things about his church. I'll point out one thing that I want you to remember here from Matthew 16. And then we're going to look at a number of scriptures tonight. And I want you to consider five truths about Christ and his church. Five truths about Christ and his church. And I think it's important for us to note that tonight, especially as we consider what it is that we are doing as a church, what we are endeavoring to do uh, with the property that God has given to us as we launch out, as we move forward for the Lord Jesus. First of all, I want you to see, number one, that Christ established his church. Christ established his church. Again, here in verse number 18 of Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What do we find? We find that the church is the Lord's idea. The church is God's idea. God ordained the church. It was in his heart from the beginning of time. And in this New Testament era, the people of God are not, are, are not uh, limited to a certain race of people, the Hebrew race, the, the nation of Israel, not limited to a certain nation, but the church is international. And the church is an assembly. It is a called out assembly of all people in the earth who have responded, as did Peter, to the question, who is Jesus? Those who respond, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, who respond to him in faith, confessing him as Savior, they become a part of the church. And the Lord Jesus established the church, ordained the church, has organized the church, and sent the church forward. So we need to understand that the church belongs to him. I will build my church. It is the church that he has established and that ought to help us in our thinking tonight. Because the church does not belong to the pastor. Sometimes I, my friends will say, well, the church, uh, my church, or the church I pastor in my church, and they'll refer to it as if it is theirs. And we know that they don't necessarily mean that, that they actually think it belongs to them, although there may be a few who do think that way. But I've also met some church members who feel that way too, right? They'll say, well, that's our church. That's our church. I want you to know that this is his church. This is his church. It doesn't belong to us. These buildings don't belong to us. They belong to him. Uh, the things that are contained in these buildings do not belong to us. They belong to him. This is his church. He established this church. Now, we talked this morning about our history and the fact that our church began with a tent meeting. An evangelist came in 1940 and held a tent meeting and preached the gospel in the tent, and people were saved. And in 1941, our church was formed, the Tabernacle Baptist Church. But from its inception, it was in the heart of God. 
and God sent a man here to preach the gospel, and God drew souls to himself. People were saved. They continued to meet and eventually form a church. And this church is the Lord's church. And so we need to understand, number one, that Christ established his church. Then secondly, I want you to look with me in the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. Would you turn there with me? The book of Ephesians and the fifth chapter. I'm listening to hear those pages rustling. Though my sight is waxing dim and, and, and my hearing is not what it once was, I can still hear the rustling of those pages. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. By the way, there's a chart downstairs uh, in, in the uh, elementary wing, the preschool wing, and there's, a, there's an alphabet chart, uh, an eye chart. And I measured it the other day. That I was supposed to stand a certain distance from it. And I stood there and I could read the bottom line. That means I have 2010, according to when I was able to read. 2010. Now, if I'm holding a book close to my eyes, I got a problem. But if I'm standing there, I can still see pretty good. And my wife keeps trying to make eye appointments for me, and I, I'm just telling her I'm okay. I can still see, and I'm thankful. But I'm not hearing as well as I used to. And, uh, and having to have things repeated, annoying my family, uh, it's really interesting. And so you pray for me. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ established the church. Number two, Christ loves the church. Christ loves his church. It's his church, and he loves it. How much does he love it? So much that he gave himself for it. He laid down his life for the church. He came to this earth and took upon himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? He did so for his church. The Bible says in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Does God take the sanctification of his church serious? I think he takes it much more serious than we do. Sanctification. To be called out from the world unto Christ. To live a holy life. Jesus Christ died to cleanse us of our sin. So he, he came to sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. Verse 27 that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The Lord Jesus loves the church, and the Lord Jesus is working to cleanse and sanctify his church so that the church is going to be presented to him holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ loves the church. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? 
Well, do you love him? That's the better question, isn't it? Do you love Jesus? And if you love Jesus, you're going to love what's important to Jesus. And what is important to Jesus is his church. Now, I have five children, and I've learned something about myself and my response to other people. The people who love my children are people that I love easily. When somebody takes an interest in my kids, that, that causes me to, to, to take an interest in them. And listen, when we show an interest in the Lord's church, that pleases the Lord. That pleases Him. John chapter 13 and verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You see, when we demonstrate love for one another, that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loves his church. He loves everyone in this church. He loves everyone in the church, all together. And we know that naturally there are certain personalities that we might tend to gravitate toward. And there might be other personalities that we, we, we seemingly just don't mesh with. But the truth is whether or not our personalities mesh is really not the matter. God has commanded that we love one another. And that love, the love of God, is not based on the merit or the uh, attractiveness of our personality or our exterior. It is based on the character of the lover. And if we love as Christ loves, we're going to love all people. And we're going to love his people, especially. So the question comes tonight, do we love the church? Because we know that Christ loves his church. He has set his affection upon his church. Then I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Just a few pages over, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18. And we find in here a third truth about Christ and his church. That relationship that he has with his church. We know that he established his church. We know that he loved his church. But then thirdly, we see here in verse number 1, or in verse number 18 of Colossians chapter 1, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. What do we learn in this verse? We learn that Christ is the head of his church. Christ is the head of his church. Who is in charge of the Tabernacle Baptist Church? Well, I want you to know it's not me. And I'm sorry to bust your bubble if you think it's you. It's neither one of us. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. This is his church. He established it. He loves it. And therefore, he has the right to be the head of it. So we understand that Christ is our head. Now, we know that the Lord Jesus has given us two church offices. And those offices are, are listed for us in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. The Lord has given to the church pastors and deacons. And the pastors and the deacons are serving the church. And we are to lead the church. And we thank God uh, for the people that God has given to us who serve faithfully as a deacon. And uh, that is, a, that is a, an awesome responsibility. One that should be approached with uh, a soberness, an awareness of the calling that God places upon our lives. And then as pastor. It is my privilege to serve this church. 
and to be underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus. So there are two church offices, pastor and deacon. There are two church ordinances. Those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those ordinances are given to the church, and both of those ordinances demonstrate, testify of the atoning work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so how do we function as a church? Christ being our head. Uh, in our uh, discipleship groups, in our first steps group, I've explained to those who have attended that discipleship group that our church is an independent Baptist church. Independent meaning that we are unaffiliated with any other group. We are not a part of any denominational structure. There is no outside group that we answer to. We believe, according to the Bible, that we answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our head. We are Baptist in our doctrine and in our distinctives. We believe the doctrines of the Scripture. They're listed for you if you'd like to look at them in our church constitution. That delineates and defines those things that we believe. And we believe that those doctrines come straight from the Scripture. And if you can show us that those doctrines need to be changed according to the Scripture, then we want to be faithful to the Scripture, right? Now, we don't believe that you're going to convince us that that's true. But the, my point is tonight that we believe that the doctrines we hold to are scriptural, biblical teaching. And so Baptist describes our, our, our body of beliefs, our, our distinctives. And our church is an independent Baptist church. We are unaffiliated. We are not answering to other independent Baptist churches or any other outside group. We answer to Christ. As pastor, I answer to the Lord Jesus and to you. And I answer uh, to the deacons. And uh, you and I answer to one another and to the Lord Jesus. There is an accountability that we have in the context of the local New Testament church. And Christ, therefore, is our head. Now, how does this church function? Well, we function with this model. Our church is pastor-led. The pastor is not uh, the potentate. He's not the, the king who sits on the throne. He's, he's an under-shepherd, and a shepherd is to be a servant. And so it's my function to serve Christ and serve this church and to lead it as Christ leads me. And so the church is pastor-led. It's deacon-served. We have a body of deacons who function to serve this congregation, and uh, it is committee advised. Now, we're not a big committee church. We have one committee, the finance committee, and uh, they make recommendations and give advice about budget proposals and, and uh, line items and, and trying to help set a direction for the church. And, and then they make those recommendations to the pastor and to the deacons, and then the deacons uh, will consider those, uh, those recommendations. And then once they approve them or alter them in some way, then they bring that to the church for the church's approval. So we have a church that's pastor-led, deacon-served, committee-advised, and congregationally approved. Now, from time to time, someone might say, well, I'm not sure why we're having these meetings. It seems to be all figured out before we ever get into the meeting. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you like for me to come and present something to you and say, well, this is what I want to do, but the deacons want to do something else, so we're just going to leave it up to you? That would be chaos, wouldn't it? 
it might increase the drama and it might excite a few folks and maybe get a few more at the business meeting, right? But that's not what a unified church does. And so uh, when we discuss things, we present things to you, we come in agreement. If we are not in agreement, uh, then we're not going to present those things to you. Why? Because we believe the body ought to be unified. This is Christ's church, and it ought to be protected, and it ought to be guarded. And there are some who say, well, you know, the pastor gets everything he wants. Well, I, I'd like for you to come into some of those meetings with me sometimes. I can assure you the pastor does not get everything he wants. And oftentimes I'm glad that he does it uh, because it all doesn't depend on me, right? And there are times that I think maybe we ought to go a certain direction, but other people don't think we ought to go a certain direction. And unless God has clearly led us in that direction, if it's up for discussion, I have a responsibility to submit to the group and to the Lord. And do you know what I found? I found that God has directed me through that group of men, and I'm thankful for them. They're men who love God, who love this church. They have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. And so this is our model. And so the pastor doesn't get puffed up when, when they don't want to do what he wants done. Oh, maybe for a moment. But then confession comes and cleansing, right, and forgiveness and a good, a good perspective. And then a thank you, Lord. I'm glad you're showing me this. That's what happens. But Christ is the head. Not me, not anyone else. Jesus is the head. And I have confidence in the Spirit of God and in the Word of God that He will lead us forward. He's the head. Now, if He's the head, what's my responsibility? To submit to His headship. That's my responsibility. And we as a church are to magnify His name. We're not to magnify our own names. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. This church isn't about me. It's not about anyone else. It's not about a singer who stands behind the pulpit. It, it's not about you getting your agenda or your, uh, your plans accomplished. It is about magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What matters in this church that Jesus Christ gets the glory? That's it. That's it. If I don't get my way, that's okay, as long as Jesus Christ gets the glory. If you don't get your way, that's okay, as long as Jesus Christ gets the glory. Let's not ever allow our personal agenda or our personal preferences to overrule and take away from the glory of Jesus Christ. May God help us to magnify his name. Well, let me give you a fourth truth. We find it in the book of Ephesians. Turn back there with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Who is he writing to? Well, he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he's writing primarily to those who are Gentiles. And he's saying to those Gentile believers that you have the same right, you have the same uh, grace, 
you have the same standing in Christ as do the Jewish brethren that you worship with. Verse 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. We talked this morning about building the house. And uh, we're talking in particular about a structure that was built in the Old Testament, the temple of God. But the spiritual application is that Jesus Christ is building a house today. And it's not simply a physical house. He is building a spiritual house. That's what he's speaking of here. A habitation, verse 22, uh, he says, in whom you're also building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So he's speaking about a structure that is not a physical structure. He's talking about a spiritual structure, and he's talking about stones that are being uh, integrated into that structure. And those stones are the individual believers who Christ has saved. We have been fitly framed. That means that Christ has selected us in Solomon's temple. They would, they would select stones out of the quarry. They would quarry those stones. They would form and fashion those stones. They would deliver them to the temple site, and then they would place them against the stone that they would be next to, or the stone that they would form next to, and those stones would be perfectly formed to fit together. What is God doing? God is calling us out of the world. He is fashioning us. He is shaping us, and he is forming us together so that we fit together. We are fitly framed together, and Christ dwells in our midst. So the fourth truth I want you to get tonight is that Christ dwells in his church. Christ dwells in his church. We are a habitation, a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked upon this earth, he was in a body, the body of a man. He became a man without ceasing to be God. He dwelt among men. Today, Christ dwells among men in the habitation of his church. And he uses two images. First of all, the image that we've been looking at here in, in chapter 2, the image of a building. And what we realize is that when we come together, when we assemble, we are meeting with Christ. He is present with us. Now, he said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us always, even unto the end of the world. And he is with you throughout the week. But friends, there is a, there is a sense that Christ is with us when we gather to worship, unlike any other time. And when we gather for worship, we are gathering in the very presence of Christ. He indwells us. We are meeting with him. And we are meeting together with God's people. And we are serving Christ together through the local church. We are making him known in our community through the ministries of our church. And we have many ministries that we're engaged in. Yesterday, we had our visitation and outreach ministry. We have people going into the community uh, and, and reaching children and bringing them to church on the Lord's Day. We refer, that, we refer to that as the bus ministry. 
But we're not ministering to buses. We're ministering to children. We use buses as a tool to bring them in, right? On Wednesday evening, we'll have uh, our master clubs and impact youth ministry. Those are ministries designed to help children and young people, teenagers, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. We have our discipleship groups. That's another ministry outreach that we have. We minister to our community through uh, benevolent giving, the Hickory Soup Kitchen. We're involved in the work at the Pregnancy Care Center and uh, also in, in Safe Harbor. Uh, we're, we're investing in those works because they're Christian works. And, and we can participate with them and pray for them and try to be a help to them. These are things that God has given us to do. These are ministries. And these ministries are tangible ways in which we can serve the Lord together, singing in the choir, uh, singing uh, or, or playing instruments in the orchestra, serving in the nursery, teaching children Sunday school, uh, serving as... as um, a watchman, uh, making sure the grounds are safe and, and, and the buildings are secure, the parking lot is safe during the services. Uh, these are opportunities that God has given us to serve him together. The Bible tells us there's another picture of, of, our, uh, of Christ's indwelling presence, not only the picture of the building, but then there's a picture of a body, a body, Ephesians 5, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Not only are we the building that's fitly framed together, but we are the body of Christ, just as Christ had a body during his earthly life and ministry. Today, he has a body, and we interact with the world through these ministries, uh, through our daily living. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 tells us this. If you'll turn there with me, we're in Ephesians 2, so it won't be a great leap for you to turn the page, right? Ephesians 4 and verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means to build up. So the purpose of these ministers that Christ has given to the church was to build up the body, to build up the church, to edify it. To the intent, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until we grow and mature in Christ, until we take on his image, until he has transformed us, our thinking, our actions, our deeds, until Christ has conformed us to the image of himself. Verse 14, that we be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head. You know what we are on? We're on a journey. And that journey is a journey of growth and maturity. And some of us are further ahead than others. And, 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 and so we need to be understanding of that. By the way, I'm not putting myself necessarily in that, in that group. I still have a long way to go. But the point is, we're all at different places in our walk with Christ. And the church is made up of people 
at different places in their walk with Christ. Some are newborn Christians and uh, haven't been taught the things that you've been taught. And then some have been in church for years and still aren't growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So we're all in different places, but we're helping one another. That's what we do in the church. And how do we do that? By speaking the truth, yes, but by speaking the truth in love. And as we speak the truth in love, we grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, here's that phrase again, fitly joined together. God, again, has placed us exactly where he wants us in the body. We have a function, and as we function, he says, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every person in this church has a significant role to play. Every person in this church is needed and important. Don't allow the devil or anyone else to convince you that you're not needed. You are needed in the local New Testament church. You are important. You are significant. You were so significant that Jesus Christ died for you and saved you. You are so significant that he's called you to himself. He's placed you in the body and he intends for you to function. You're important. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body. If you're in your spot and I'm in mine, here's what's going to happen. The body is going to grow. The body is going to develop. The body is going to come to maturity. In the increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Well, that's the key, isn't it? In love. So Christ dwells in his church. Let me just say this. A healthy church will be a growing church. A healthy church will be a growing church. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, would you say the next word with me? Daily. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, you know, when a church is growing, it causes some discomfort, doesn't it? I mean, the people that you're used to seeing, you don't always see. There's different people in your seat, and things begin to change, right? And now we are at two services, and we've got one group that comes at uh, 8.30 in the morning, and we have another group that comes at 11 o'clock in the morning. And... Uh, we have a we've have a lot of new people coming. We thank God for that, right? And a lot of people that have been saved and follow the Lord in believers' baptism. What a blessing that is! But I want to say that growth oftentimes makes us uncomfortable. That's okay, because we're not here to be comfortable. We are here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to help people come into the family of God. I'm glad there was room for me in the family. And I want to make sure I have enough room for others to come into the family. And a healthy church is going to be a growing church. A healthy body will reproduce, and a healthy church will grow. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. I want to say this to you tonight, that we need to reach more people in Hickory. There are more people who need to be saved. There are more people 
whose lives need the soul-saving message of the gospel, who need to be confronted lovingly with the truth of God's word so that they can be helped and so that they can receive the blessings of the Lord. We need to continue preaching the message of the gospel. Christ dwells in his church. It's a building. It's a body. Well, let me give you the last thought. And that is this. Christ commissioned his church. Christ commissioned his church. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, Matthew chapter number 28 and verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Who sets the itinerary for the church? Who defines the function of the church? What the church is supposed to do? Well, it's not me, and it's not you. It's not any other group. I'm amazed at some of the ideas that people come up with sometimes about what the church ought to be doing. And most of the time, it comes from people who aren't in the church. People who have no desire to be in the church want to tell the church what the church ought to be doing with its money and with its time. They have no understanding of the Lord Jesus and his word. Friend, we find that the Lord Jesus gives us our marching orders. He established the church. He loved the church. He gave himself for the church. He's the head of the church. And so it's his responsibility to commission the church, to tell us what it is that we ought to be doing. And what we find here in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, is that it's the responsibility of the church to make disciples. That's our job, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We have one message, that's the message of the gospel. We have, we, we, we're like Paul, want to know nothing but Christ crucified. That's our message. Jesus died on the cross for you. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And it's our responsibility to declare that message to all the world. As we declare that message and people receive Christ, then we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. As they are baptized in Acts chapter 2, then they are added unto the church. And as, as they have followed Christ then in believers' baptism and become a part of the church, we have a responsibility in verse 20, to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We have an ongoing discipleship program at Tabernacle Baptist Church. Let me tell you when we meet for discipleship. Sunday morning at 8.30, then again Sunday school at 9.30, then another worship service at 11, then another service at 5, and then another service Wednesday night or a discipleship group. You see, we have an ongoing discipleship ministry. And what are we doing? We're teaching God's people to observe his word. And we have a wonderful promise. As we endeavor to fulfill his commission, he is with us. Oh, David emphasized that over and over with Solomon, didn't he? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And if God is with you, he will not fail you. He will not forsake you. And friends, if we'll just do what God's called us to do, we have God's presence with us and God's power will work among us. 
and we'll see God do great things. And we have seen the Lord do great things. I've been amazed this summer at the attendance. I've been amazed at the fact that we have baptized nearly every Sunday this summer. The Lord has, has done a work in, in the lives of people. I am amazed at how God has blessed the ministry of Tabernacle Christian School. And I believe there's more, more ground for us to gain through that ministry. There's more ground for us to gain through all of the ministries of our church. And may God help us to be faithful, to get the message out. He has commissioned us. And so let's move forward. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said this concerning the church. He said that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church has a responsibility. As the pillar, we, we, uh, we are upholding the truth. As the ground, that's our foundation. Our ground, our, our footing, what we stand upon is the truth of God's Word. And what we are to uphold is the truths of God's Word. No matter what the world thinks, no matter what the trends of the culture are, it's our responsibility to make God's truth known. And so may God help us. As, as we mentioned a moment ago, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And the Bible is our sole authority in matters of faith and practice. What do we want to do? What do we want to be? How do we want to be known? I'll tell you, as a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And that's it. And that's good enough, isn't it? So let me conclude here. Let me ask you a question. What is your relationship with Christ and his church? Do you know that the devil, the devil... He will try everything he can to disrupt your relationship with Christ and his church. He hates the church. And the church is precious to Jesus. And the devil hates anything that's precious to Jesus. So the devil will do all he can to divide, to, to sow the seeds of doubt, uh, to do anything he can to come between you and your church. And by the way, let me say this. He'll do anything he can to, to, to cause division between you and I. Because if there's some ought that you and I have against one another, and I can honestly tell you I have no ought against anyone in this church. But if the devil can, can sow a seed of discord, then, then he is cutting off an influence in your life that you need. You need a pastor. You need someone who can preach the Word of God to you. And so don't allow the devil to come between you and I. Don't allow the devil to come between you and your church. Don't allow the devil to come between you and the Lord. So as we think about our relationship with Christ and his church, we think about these five truths. Let me just ask a few questions and then we'll pray. Have you developed an understanding that the church is the Lord's idea? Oh, why do we have to go to church again? Ask the Lord. This is his church. He established it. How does that truth impact your view of the church and your participation in it? It's his church. Number two, do you understand that Christ loved the church? And are you aware of the price that he paid to purchase it? If the church means so much to Christ, let me ask you a question. What does it mean to you? If he paid the price for the church, 
are we willing to pay the price to serve him? Number three, are you submitted to the headship of Christ? Is it your goal to magnify his name? Number four, do you recognize that Christ dwells in his church? Every time we meet together, the Lord is here. Every time. I don't want to miss that, do you? Should we not then be faithful to church? As the body of Christ and as members of his body in particular, do we find ourselves concerned about the overall health of the body? Are we doing all we can to minister to the body? To edify the body? You see, we ought not just simply think about ourselves, but we ought to think about the body. Consider one another, is what the Bible says in Hebrews 10. And then number five, are we seeking to fulfill the commission that Christ has given to the church? Or have we allowed our own views to shape the purpose and activities of the church? May God help us. This is Christ and his church. It is, without doubt, the greatest thing, the most significant thing happening in our world today. And we are privileged to be a part of it, aren't we? Well, let's thank the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.